Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hello, and welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am Meredith Bond. I am here with my lovely co-host, Prue Warren. And Prue, today we are going to be talking about voice. We have been saying for a couple of weeks now that we were going to talk about voice, and then things always came up. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, though. We're we're actually going to do it. (laughs) Do it, man. We're going to do it. Come on. We'll hold hands and jump off that cliff together. Voice. Yes. And so, <laughs> listeners, this is going to be another one of those super fun episodes where we read to you because we are so excited to share the concept of voice with you and discuss how it affects what we read and how we write. Now, a lot of New authors are curious about voice because they don't know how to do it. They mm-hmm. don't know where it comes from. Right. They, they don't know where to find it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> These sound like familiar thoughts. Yes. <laughs> and I was always confused by voice because I was like, well, what is it? I mean, what is the thing called voice? Yes. Can so you define it? An answer? I have I have two definitions of what voice is. Okay. First is the character's voice. And that's the way our characters speak, right? Um, and so it can be that somebody speaks, um, and it's not just in their accent, but in their their choice of words right right Right. sometimes sometimes you can if you have a guy who plays sports he uses sports metaphors exactly sports metaphors or if somebody uses is highly educated and likes everybody to know it they'll use really you know complicated words right um, I have a, a cute example of somebody who just who is like me and doesn't have a, the memory anymore. And so, <laughs> right? And so they'll say, "Oh, where's that that um, that thing?" Because they've they totally lost the vocabulary. And somebody will say, "You mean the chair?" And they're like, "Yeah, they are like that." <laughs> you know the equivalent the, <laughs> of that is when I'm talking about my son. I have to go through the names of my sister, my dog, before I get to my son. I don't know why. I only have one child. That's it. There's only the one. I can't get to it quickly. I've got to rotate through other things I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's when you start calling your children by the pet's name that there's a problem. <laughs> I had a roommate in high school once who got so. Um, Kerflected, who got so frustrated that she called me by her name. <laughs> <laughs> I 
was an unusual. Okay, so that's uh, the character voice. So that's the character voice. Another type, the other type of voice is arterial voice. And that's the way you write. Um, And that can be um, something like whether you have a lot of dialogue in your writing, whether you've got a lot of description, whether you are in the character's head, whether you tell more than you show. Mm. When I was writing fundraising copy a million years ago, um, one of my bosses said, you need to learn how to write in many different voices because you're writing for um, various organizations who want, want to send a fundraising letter. You have to write in many different voices. And a very smart guy who was in the industry heard that and said to me later, he said, you know, that's bullshit. People make entire careers out of creating a voice that others respond to. So the idea that you have to modify your voice to please someone else negates the glory of the way you speak and the way you think. And to me, that is the height of authorial voice because the way I present a concept is different from the way you present a concept is different from the way everyone presents a concept. And if you have the courage to say it the way you think it sounds right, then you've taken a long step to defining your authorial voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I went on to have a career as a fundraising (laughs) cutter. Yay, me. And the way you write your, you wrote your, your copy, your letters for, for fundraising, I'm sure was completely different from the way you write your books. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. That's completely right. So there are times when the same author presents a different face to the world. Right. But behind that face is the same voice. I think voice is a matter of confidence, Hmm. is a matter of speaking. People often say, oh, I can't write anything. I'm like, can you tell a story? Because if you can tell a story, just type that up. Stop using board of directors language. Just say it as though you were speaking to a friend. And all of a sudden, you're freed of eighth grade grammar teachers and bosses and boards of directors. You can just write to give yourself joy and then other people will like it too. That's my theory. You'll find people who will like it. Yes, I completely agree. And that is exactly the way one finds their own voice is simply by writing what feels right. I agree. I agree. And I believe because I'm an old lady, because I'm 61 this year, woo-hoo, um, I have my attitude is I don't care what someone else thinks. I'm writing to amuse me. And if so, and, and fortunately have found a few people who agree that that's entertaining and fun. And so, but that comes with time. It takes a long time before you believe that what you're saying and the way you're saying it is valuable. So if there was any shortcut, I would say, fake it, just pretend it's valuable and go ahead and write it. And don't get hung up on the grammar. Don't get hung up on the um, formality. Just write it, just write it. And don't get hung up on what, how you should write it. Ah, there you go. 
There you go. You know, God, Meredith, I was, we were on a um, Washington Romance Writers mini session and someone brought up the point that um, prologues are generally frowned on by agents and editors. And once again, all I can say is that's bullshit. If you need a prologue, write a damn prologue. Let them figure it out. If they don't, if they can't handle it, there's always self-publishing. Come on in. The water's fine. I hate that, that, that in anticipation that an agent or an editor will say, I don't like prologues. Come on, write the prologue if that's what you need. It's so funny because my four traditionally published books, I think yeah. three of them had prologues. <laughs> And I didn't know that one wasn't supposed to write a prologue. And so I didn't learn that until after I'd gotten my publishing contract. A prologue <laughs> is a valuable thing. A prologue can be wonderful. Yeah. Prologue is where you set up all the stuff that's coming next. So, I, you know, this, the, I've gotten a little belligerent in this conversation. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a uh, lectury. I'm very sorry. I'm sorry. No. Carry on, Mary. You be wise and I'll be quiet. <laughs> it could happen it might but i i i appreciate your thoughts and your your insight i really do i think it is very spot on good um, <laughs> so the fascinating thing so one thing that i found and i don't remember where i found it but somewhere i found an article Written by Jennifer Cruzy. Love. Who we love her with such a passion. She is love. such an amazing author. And she's an amazing writing teacher. Ooh. And Excellent. she wrote an article where she did this writing exercise where she tried to write in the voices of different authors the same scene. That's awesome. That's a and great then idea. she analyzed it with each different author. Smart. Which is just incredible. Brilliant. Brilliant. It, it is absolutely brilliant. I'm going to share this document um, on our website. Good, I want it. Because you, uh, it's rather long, so I don't want to read it. But uh, just to give you an idea... Um, the notes that she gives for each voice that she writes in. So the first one, she writes in the voice of Susan Elizabeth Phillips. And it starts with dialogue from the first line. The POV character describes the hero in his head, gives backstory without betraying anything of his own character. There's conversational conflict, moves into colloquial dialogue, lots of white space on the page. She talks about the gestures and the details, the hero's clothes, how they walk, uh, the POV character's unwilling admiration. And then she gives her reaction. She says, it's really interesting to see how Susan gets her hero in place as such a larger than life character. I had a hard time not characterizing the observer narrator, but his anonymity is why the hero is so front and center. And so... And then she does the same thing. She, she uses Nor Roberts' voice. She uses Beverly Jenkins' voice. Um, and then her own voice. 
That's excellent. I can't wait to read that. And so with each one, she describes the way she identifies their voice and the characteristics that she uses. Um, in Beverly Jenkins' voice, the POV character isn't named until the second paragraph. <laughs> and there's a lot of action and less dialogue. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating. The way she analyzes the voices of these different authors and emulates That's, them. But Meredith, do you believe that those authors do this? I think they must do it instinctively to create their style. It's not as though... Somebody said, I know what I'm going to do. From now on, I'm not going to describe the POV character at all. Right. That's the way, that's just the way they write. Yes, exactly. It is just the way they write. And I'm sure that none of those authors sat down and say, gee, how do I write? Right. No, they don't. They just do it. They just do it. They just do it. So if if a if a listener is wondering how do I how do I create my own voice? The answer is don't look at what someone else is doing. Just do it. Right. Yes. So, so create, create your personality and a written work with such confidence and strength that you have created your own style. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's a fascinating thing to think about because as an editor, I work really hard not to change the voice or the words of the author whose work I'm editing because I don't I don't want to write their book. I want them to write their book and I want their voice to shine through. But sometimes they have written it in a way that it's not clear. And mm. so then I have to suggest mm -hmm. options, other options. Well, Meredith, that's an interesting point because you can you can write with great vigorous confidence and then you hand it to editors, um, copy editors, beta readers, family members, and everybody has an opinion. And everybody wants to advise you, your sentences are too long, your chapters are too long, your paragraphs are too short. Everybody's got something they want to say. How do you know when to listen to someone and when to thank them kindly and Fuck off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am belligerent today. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah, it just, you have to, all you have to do is make sure that people understand what you're trying to convey. And beyond that, it's your voice and it's your book and it's your choice. Until you sell your book to a publisher. Even then. A publisher, a good publisher, will not try to change your voice or your words too much. I mean, that was one thing that I complained about bitterly when I was traditionally published, is that I would send my book to my editor, and I felt like I was sending it into a black hole because mm. I would never hear from her. And all I got back were copy edits. And I wanted, I was a new author. I was like you, this was my, it was my very first time publishing. It was my first right. time writing. I wanted some feedback and I got nothing. So did that help you or hurt you? I don't know. It made me, it forced me to have confidence in my own work, actually, because she wasn't going to tell me whether it was any good. She was just going to publish it. 
well, that explains a lot of books that get published and I read them and I think, how did this one, you know, why aren't, why aren't editors, why aren't, why aren't publishers jumping on my brilliant novel? Uh, when I read books that get published traditionally and think, you know, that's, somebody should have fixed this, right? You use the yeah. same word twice in two sentences. Come on, who's paying attention here? Um, well, that's the work of the copy editor. That should have gotten fixed. It should have gotten fixed. Should have yeah. gotten free. I'm reading a great series right now by a woman named Jody Taylor, which is mm -hmm. time travel. And it's mm -hmm. lighthearted and funny and delightful. And the first eight books have been insane. And then the ninth book, it's like all of a sudden disaster strikes. It's the saddest book I've ever read. And I'm, I'm like, who messed with the authorial voice here? Who turned this from wit to, oh my God, did that just happen? So, so this is, That's and she's fascinating. Somebody didn't say to her or whoever, uh, no, you've, you've changed your voice completely here. It's very that confusing. Is. I guess she got that bored is. after eight books. Yeah. Uh, okay. Authorial voice, uh, editors, publishers. So what have we learned so far? Recap me. <laughs> oh my God. I never set the timer. I have no long how, I idea how long we've been yammering. Oh, me neither. Oh, well, uh, well, go until we're done. Good luck, yeah. people. <laughs> Have a lunch. Good <laughs> <Have> fun. <laughs> uh, so I think to summarize, it is be yourself. Be yourself. Write with confidence. Be yourself. Amen. That's right. That's right. Don't let the question of voice make you crazy. Yeah. You already, you already have a voice. Just write it. Yeah. Just write in it and, and be confident that other people will enjoy your writing and your voice. That's right. You'll find the right audience. Yeah, exactly. Good. All right. How about some examples? Have you yes. got a book that demonstrates authorial voice? I have a number of them um, because I am just that way. I want to read two. Okay. I mean, I've got a bunch, but I want to read two. One, the first one is The Once and Future King by T.H. White. Love. Right. It is one of my Absolute favorite book. This is chapter four. I don't know why, but that's what I've got. The wart started talking before he was halfway over the drawbridge. Look who I've brought, he said. Look, I have been on a quest. I was shot at three with three arrows. They had black and yellow stripes. The owl is called Archimedes. I saw King Pelinor. This is my tutor Merlin. I was on a quest for him. He was after the questing beast. I mean, King Pelinor. It was terrible in the forest. Merlin made the plates up, wash up. Hello, Hob. Look what we have, Cully. Hob <laughs> just looked at Wart, but so proudly that the Wart went quite red. It was such a pleasure to be back home again with all his friends and everything achieved. Hob said gruffly, Ah, oh, master, us shall make us a stranger of you yet. He came for Cully as if he could not keep his hands off him any longer, but he patted the wart too, fondling them both, because he was not sure which he was gladder to see back. He took Cully on his own fist, reassuming him like a lame man, putting on his accustomed wooden leg after it had been lost. Okay, so first of all, the wart is such a fantastic character, and I love the way he talks. He just... Like a, like, like a curious young boy. He's perfect. He's perfect. He, he is absolutely perfect. White 
captured the voice of a child perfectly. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. It makes me want to go back and read that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready when you are, but go ahead. You do your second one and I will. Uh, I've got one. Okay. My second one is the antithesis because I like that. It's The Princess Diaries by Meg Cabot. Ah. <laughs> well, I guess now I know why my dad is so concerned about not being able to have more kids. Because he's a prince. Jeez, how long did they think they could keep something like that from me? Although, come to think of it, they managed for a pretty long time. I mean, I've been to Genovia, where I go every summer, and also most criminals. Christmases is the name of my grandmother's house in France. It is actually on the border of France, right near Genovia, but which is between France and Italy. I've been going to Morontnac since ever since I was born. Never with my mother, though, only with my dad. My mom and dad never lived together. Unlike a lot of kids I know who sit around wishing their parents would get back together after being they get divorced, I'm perfectly happy with this arrangement. My parents broke up before I was ever born, although they've always been pretty friendly to one another, except when my dad being moody, that is, or my mom is being a flake, which he can be sometimes. Things would majorly suck, I think, if they lived together. The voice of a teen girl. The voice of a teen girl. <laughs> and it's her diary. So she she's, again, she's just, it's all stream of consciousness. Right. And, you know, things suck. And yeah, she knows all of this, but you know, maybe things are going to be okay. And it's so the voice of a teen girl. It's so the voice of a teen girl. So this is the difference between uh, character voice versus authorial voice. But I think that you can see the difference between the two authors as well as between the two characters. I mean, you've chosen two very young um, point of view providers, points of view. Um, but also the style with which they're written, one of them is older and more traditional, right? One of yes. them is H. White, a tremendous scholar. Yes. Ms. Meg Cabot, very clever, very modern, very in the now, um, manipulator of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely see the difference in, in authorial voice as well as in character voice. Yeah. What, what do you have for us? Okay. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. Oh. <laughs> right? I mean, talk about a voice. Yes. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a wholly remarkable book. It has been compiled and recompiled many times over many years and under many different editorships. It contains contributions from countless numbers of travelers and researchers. The introduction begins like this. Space, it says, is big, really big. You just won't believe how vastly huge, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, you may think it's a long way down the road to the chemist, but that's just peanuts to space. <laughs> the guy is just funny. He's delightful. Douglas Adams. What a brilliant writer. And I think his voice is very science-based chatty, right? It's chatty science fiction with a high emphasis on science, which is a very distinct, funny and chatty and sciencey. And it's, it's very British, I think, because it's very dry humor. It is. 
It definitely is. It definitely is. He wrote a book called Last Chance to See, in which the BBC hired him to go around and look at endangered species. I don't know why they thought Douglas Adams would be good at this, but he was brilliant with a naturalist. And he had one section about a bird who nests, who builds a huge nest and then spends all of its days putting more matter on the nest and taking matter away on the nest to control the temperature of inside the eggs. And he's talking about it and he, and he, and in aside, I've just written a nice little program to calculate the volume and matter. It was just, it's just such an, it's just, you come to love the author while reading the author's stories. And I feel as though he makes me his friend as I'm reading it. That's his, that's his voice. That's his style. Yeah, that's great. Do you have another one you want to share? Um, well, I was going to do something from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, because it's very British, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have the same country, but it's a very different book. Here's just, I opened randomly to chapter eight, what happened after dinner. And now, said Lucy, do please tell us what's happened to Mr. Tumnus. Ah, that's bad, said Mr. Beaver, shaking his head. That's a very, very bad business. There's no doubt he was taken off by the police. I got that from a bird who saw it done. But where has he been taken to? Asked Lucy. Well, they were heading northward when they were last seen, and we all know what that means. No, we don't, said Susan. But Mr. Beaver shook his head in a very gloomy fashion. It's all dialogue. It's all dialogue. It's all dialogue. All dialogue. It's fairy tale, too. It's dialogue and fairy tale and British. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's lovely. Lovely. Favorite books. Yeah. Um. The third one that I pulled was Great Expectations, because I think the writing is so dense that you could hardly mistake Dickens for anybody else. And I've just opened to a random page. I mentioned to Mr. Pumblechook that I wished to have my new clothes sent to his house, and he was ecstatic on on my so distinguishing him. I mentioned my reason for desiring to avoid observation in the village, and he lauded it to the skies. There was nobody but himself, he intimated, worthy of my confidence, and in short, might he? Then he asked me tenderly if I remembered our boyish games at sums, and how we had gone together to have me bound apprentice, and, in effect, how he had ever been my favorite fancy and my chosen friend. That's a long... No dialogue. not, Not even the full paragraph. It's not even the full paragraph. It's just dense language. With the biggest vocabulary anyone can muster. Yes. Written time, I think, when it was not a crime to be smart. A contemporary, I think, of Dickens uh, is Poe. Aha. I have the pit and the pendulum here. Do it. Good for you. How tired. It's like we- Yeah. <laughs> I was sick, sick unto death with that long agony and when at length unbound me when they at length unbound me and I was permitted to sit I felt that my senses were leaving me the sentence the dread sentence of death was the last distinct accentuation which reached my ears after that the sound of the inquisitorial voices seemed merged in one dreamy intermediate hum It conveyed to my soul the idea of revolution, perhaps from its association and fancy with the burr of the mill wheel. This only for a brief period, for presently I heard no more. Yet for a while I saw, but with how terrible an exaggeration, 
I saw the lips of the black-robed judges. They appeared to me white, whiter than a sheet upon which I traced these words, and thin, even to grotesqueness, thin with the intensity of their expression of firmness, of movable, immovable resolution, of stern contempt, of human torture, and so on and so forth. Do you think, I was, I was thinking as you, were, as you were reading, is this really, really dense language gone out of fashion? Yes. Or just romance readers? No, I think it's just gone out of fashion. Sorry. Okay, I have in front of me David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, and I'm going to look up when it was published because it's, a, it's 1996, so it's more, sort of more contemporary than Dickens. But I'm going to open to any random page. It happens to be page 534. This is a big damn book. Uh, well, Mr. Gately, what people don't get about being hideously or improbably deformed is that the urge to hide is offset by a gigantic sense of shame about your urge to hide. You're at a graduate wine tasting party and improbably deformed, and you're the object of stares that the people trying to conceal behind that the people try to conceal because they're ashamed of wanting to stare. And you want nothing more than to hide from the covert stares, to erase your difference, to crawl under the tablecloth, or put your face under your arm, or you pray for a power failure and for this kind of utter liberate liberating, equalizing darkness to descend so you can be reduced to nothing but a voice among other voices, invisible, equal, no different, hidden. <laughs> That's us yeah, of dialogue. That was that was dialogue. Yeah. This is this is an incredible, I mean, it is an amazing, it's simply an amazing book. Over a thousand pages. Uh, and I think he writes as densely as Dickens or Poe. That's interesting. But it's but, dialogue. And Dickens and Poe did not write direct dialogue or very little. I think you're probably, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. So that is very interesting. That Dialogue is. In the romance world, yes, I'm leafing through my ancient copy of Dickens, and there are some, but people speak in full paragraphs. They do not, there are no one-word lines in this book. It's dense. Right. Absolutely dense. So that's really interesting. So, so we can see after after stating so boldly that you don't have to listen to convention and you do create your own voice, there are trends in authorial voice that we can see over time. Absolutely. And I think there are also trends uh, by genre. Trends by genre. That's a very good point. Right. The original, the original um, author of romances would be Jane Austen. And her books do not look like Jennifer Cruz's books. I mean, just when you leaf through the pages, there's a lot more white space in Jennifer Cruz. Absolutely. So that's, but okay. But do you think that's because when Jane Austen was writing, she was not a romance novel. She was literature. And we're writing romance novels and are not considered by the greater population to be high art or literature. And so, so we're the Even the, if you look at Georgette Hare who was deliberately writing romance, even That's though it was in the 1920s and 30s. True. Very good point. Her copy there is, is very still Very little white space. It is very dense. There's lots of really long paragraphs. So that's fascinating. Okay. So authorial voice can also conform to the time. And we're all influenced by what we read ourselves. Absolutely. If you read a lot of Dickens and Poe, you may end up like David Foster Wallace writing thousand plus page books. 
if you read a lot of Nora Roberts and Jennifer Cruzy, you're going to write shorter books, lots of open space, move along quickly, and are just breathlessly fun. Exactly. So it's really, it's what your reader wants to get out of it as well. What you want your reader to get out of it as well. There you go. There you go. Oh, so that's appropriate. Okay. So authorial voice, keep going, read a lot and keep going. Just write your voice. Yeah. I like it. Next week. I've already forgotten what we said. Oh, we don't know quite what we're doing next week because maybe we're going to have um, a guest to talk to us about um, a writing system. Uh, yeah. About we, which we will see now. Right. But we have other topics that we'll, we'll come up with. <laughs> yes. We have actually a nice list of topics. Um, but uh, yes, I will ask this author if, she will come on and speak to us about this thing that she mentioned to me just in passing on the Discord server. What is the Discord server, Meredith Bond? <laughs> Funny you should ask me that, Prue. <laughs> <laughs> the Discord server is where we gather to discuss writing, answer questions. And at the moment, we're having a really, really slow discussion about Gail Carriger's book, the heroine's journey. <laughs> Gotten to get involved with it, your very slow discussion. I like a slow discussion, though. Let it take its time. Yeah. Uh, can anybody join the Discord server? Anybody can join the Discord server. Absolutely anybody who is interested in any of these writing topics. All yeah. they need to do is email me, Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, at MeredithBond.com. And I will send you a link and you can join us. Excellent. Excellent. Join us. We're building join a tiny us. empire, a slow moving empire. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, you can rate us, rate our podcast, wherever you got your podcast, or leave us a comment or a question at the writer's block party podcast.com. That's again, the writer's block party podcast.com. Uh, and we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. And you know what? You're getting really good, Prue. You didn't I know. have to write that down. <laughs> no. I episode 39 or 40, and I'm like, oh, the writer's block party podcast.com, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it only took m- more than half a year. Uh, okay, now let's listen to your husband's beautiful voice as he does our outro. <laughs> That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Bye.